the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams and leagues, get an exclusive ad free set of data and articles and podcasts just for you. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track. Get 40% off. Log in. Check out the best of 2021 on The Athletic right now. There's podcasts, there's articles, there's tons to talk about in the year that was from a journalistic standpoint. And by the way, that's exactly why you're here right now on the Spot Track Podcast. Scott Allen's going to join me in just a few seconds here, and we are going to recap 2021 from a financial standpoint. Storylines, trades, long contracts, free agency, top paid players, top spending teams, our favorite extension, our favorite free agent contract. And of course, dead cap, bonuses, and storylines going forward as we enter 2022. Plenty to get to it, Scott, on our 2021 year in financial review. All right, Scott, our final show of 2021. It's been a good run. Well over 100 shows. Let's do a bit of a recap, all right? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Money, some stats, some best ofs, some biggest ofs. Let's start with the leagues themselves. Um, I know you've got a bunch of top fives here that we can certainly roll through, and I want to get your thoughts on a lot of that. Um, you know, we track the payrolls. We track the individual salaries. That's kind of what we're doing on, an, on a daily basis, maybe more than ever right now. And I know you and I both like to speculate and then assess how these teams that sort of get to the finish line got there. Uh, you know, the roster construction from step one to how it all came together to become a successful championship organization. You, Your neck of the woods is the NBA. That's the data you really refine yourself and specify to. So, you know, I, I think it's interesting now where we sit right now. It's December. The Buccaneers are the reigning champs. We have about a quarter of an NBA season now staring us in the face after that fact obviously the COVID stuff and all that's going to be a big factor for all this discussion for any discussion you have in sports right now. It's been a problem. It's been an issue. It's been something that, you know, teams have had to build around quite frankly and build through. Are the Milwaukee bucks a team? And I'm going to ask this about all four sports. Are they a team that has staying power? Are they a team that was not just built for one year but you think can be a perennial annual contender in that Eastern conference. Yes, I do. They're, they're deep. They've got a core that they've locked up. Okay. Um, so I, I think they are a, uh, staying power and they're looking to the future as well. So they're always looking to upgrade if they can, but they, they're, they're a deep team and they're missing some players yeah. due to injury. Uh, n- not talking about COVID here, but, you know, DiVincenzo has been out. He was a staple at the end of that season last year, and then he got injured. So I think they they have set themselves up. Yeah, and long-term. to that point, you know, signing Grayson Allen late was almost like a, a backup plan for DiVincenzo. They kind of, I don't know if they were looking to improve that spot from the get-go, but that plus moving on from P.J. Tucker, in my opinion, Scott, that says to me that they are extremely comfortable with who they are because they're willing to move on from some glue guys this past offseason. They're third in the East. 
They are still one of the highest paying teams in the league. Um, you know, they're, the gas pedal is fully down with that organization. And, you know, you, you have to be if you're not a major market and you have, uh, you know, an MVP candidate in Giannis. So I, I find them interesting. I find them extremely similar to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Is that a fair assessment? You know, obviously getting Giannis, they got Giannis a little differently than the, than the Buccaneers acquired Tom Brady, certainly. But if you look at what the Buccaneers were in 2020 and how they kind of shot out of a cannon in Brady's first year and now what they've done in year two, my question to you is this. It, it's, it's basically the same question. Have they done enough? Basically, their plan was just the flat line. Let's just stay exactly who we are get a little better, get a little closer, work a little bit more together through this offseason, and then this team should be good enough to do it again. Do you agree with that philosophy, or are you of the mindset now, you know, almost 15 years of doing this, that you do need to do what the Buccaneers did and shake things up just a little bit? Um, I think in with respect to what the Bucs have done... I they've kept that core. They, they kicked it all back, but they did bring in the pieces, shook it up just enough. Yeah. Like you said, they brought in Grayson Allen. They, you know, signed DeMarcus cousins to a rest of season contract. So you, you get some veteran experience at a big guy to help with Brooke Lopez. If Lopez can come back, then you have two serviceable big guys. Um, so what the bucks have essentially done is, they've gotten their depth because they know their core is there okay. similar to what the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers have done. You know, they I'm brought not sure back. they've done enough though. Is that silly to say about an 11 win team right now? <laughs> I, I, I truly think that there's, you know, that they, they, they didn't provide themselves enough next man up philosophy in that locker room. And, you know, um, I, I'm going to be disagree. proven wrong here. I'm going to be proven wrong, but I, I fully believe that that should be part of the building process. I'm, I'm going to disagree ba based on what we said six months ago yeah. where we were saying they had house money to play with the draft or whatever yeah. because they were able to fill in the pieces with the depth. I think what's ended up happening here is they've just been plagued with injury or COVID protocols or whatever it may be. But we, in the beginning of the season, if I remember correctly, we were saying how deep they were in many, many positions especially going into the draft, they pretty much could have chosen whatever positions they wanted to draft at. I think the Milwaukee Bucks are with a smaller roster. They essentially did the same. They, they kicked back Bobby Portis. Uh, they brought in other pieces with uh, George Hill, yeah. West Matthews. They brought in DeMarcus Cousins during the season here. So I think they've, they've essentially done the same thing. They just haven't been plagued with, the injuries or to this extent, the COVID protocols. Bucks are near the top of the, of the uh, NFC Buccaneers. I should say, um, you know, Milwaukee bucks are third in the East right now. The Atlanta Braves obviously are locked out. Uh, we've had plenty of discussions on them and their, in their world series championship and how honestly Scott team building was the only discussion to have. <laughs> I mean, I mean, ravaged by injuries early on, kind of took Hail Mary swings at the trade deadline and everything kind of worked out exactly as they wanted it to. So there's really not, nothing more to say about that versus outside of if we're, if we're bringing in the staying power conversation, I'm not sure that's a team that has it because they're about to lose 
in my opinion, five to six notable players to free agency. Now they've got a good young core, but you need more than two or three guys in Major League Baseball, as we've seen over and over with with teams like the Angels and the Mets and, and certain, you know, with major players that just don't have enough around them. So hell of a run for Atlanta. I'm not sure they're staying power there, but I, I want to bring in the focus to Tampa, the Tampa Bay Lightning in the NHL. Obviously, they've answered that question because they're back-to-back champs. They're right. also 20 and 6 and leading the NHL right now. I, I mean, this is a this is a legitimate dynasty. You're never going to hear about it because <laughs> it's hockey. But this is a legitimate dynasty, Scott. I mean, this is of all these discussions, this is the team really that should be at the top of the list here. This is a phenomenal situation. And they've, by the way, it has not been just dumb luck. They've been controversial with how they've used their long-term injured reserve, right? Know, somewhat uh, cap man- manipulation. They've been called out for it. They've they've kind of fought back, basically saying, "Look, the loopholes are there. We're going to use them." It's very Belichickian, what mm-hmm. how this team has been put together and how they've remained together. They are all about plucking bad player or you know bad looking players off of bad teams that end up being solid good players on their team. It's very very New England Patriots like. And I don't think it has 20 years, but we're certainly at year three of this, and it looks very, very good. Any thoughts on Tampa Bay? No, it's imp- it's impressive the fact that they are consistently in the top of the league. That they're uh, spoiler alert, they're the ones that have spent the most. Yeah, yeah good transition. And so it's very interesting to see that they're doing everything imaginable to get out of their players and like you said manipulate the verbiage in the roster rules to their advantage whether it is uh, belichickian or tampa bay rays-esque if they're able to find those players that are going to fit in their system the best to maximize their win potential it's certainly not a home field advantage let's put it that way because they're still not drawing fans Right. It's a state of Florida hockey team. It's just never going to change. I mean, and that's an unbelievable, you know, flip side to this. But yeah, you're right. They've been spending for years. It has certainly paid off. They know exactly who they want, how they want to get there, and how much they have to spend to do it. And they there's really no holds bar to it. Let's let's run that list. So NHL is certainly Tampa Bay right now in terms of top cash spending for 2021. Give us the team in each each big four sport that uh, did the most damage financially this year. Yeah. So in the NFL. No surprise, Dallas Cowboys, $2.57 billion spent in 2021, uh, followed with the Major League Baseball had the Los Angeles Dodgers. Actually, they were higher, $2.73 billion with all the money that they've spent between, you know, acquiring Bauer and Max and, and, you know, all those guys that they did. Golden State Warriors, $1.7 billion and the Tampa Bay Lightning, $113 million. So way way down compared to these other big yeah. uh, spenders. But, you know, the, the other three leagues, they're the ones that are consistently in the uh, media, in the, you know, talking heads. So it's no surprise that they're spending to be where they are right now. No surprises there. Golden State's been spending like that for a long time. Generally, them and Portland have been way up there at, to- at the top because of the superstars they've had to continually pay. And Utah has been up there as well lately. Um, you know, Dallas is interesting because 
there's been almost no winning associated to this. And you know, the, the first thought that came to my mind when you, when you said Dallas and 2.5 billion is, well, they're worth 6 billion, right? I mean, they're the high, one of the highest valued franchises in all the sports. I believe they're second. Is that right? Are they second? Are they first or are they second? They're, they're first. They're the highest valued franchise in American sports. Yes. And they spend like it. And, and Jerry is not shy about that, but there hasn't been any kind of winning associated to this team. And they're not the favorites this year. Now, certainly a lot of that spending is Dak, and we're going to talk more about Dak here shortly, but that's also, you know, there's contracts for wide receivers, for running backs, for an entire offensive line, for an edge rusher, for a safety, for an inside linebacker. There's a lot of spending here. And, you know, there's always justification as to it's worth it for these three teams, the Dallas Cowboys, the Golden State Warriors, and the LA Dodgers. There's TV deals. There's merchandising. In many cases, there's new arenas that draw so much gate, so much, you know, in, bodies into those arenas for whatever reason that paying the players is like 42nd on the list of financial, you know, necessities for these owners and these staff. So it's, it's, you, there shouldn't be a surprise. But I guess what I'm getting at, Scott, is this, it doesn't also, it doesn't have to necessarily translate to winning. It doesn't have to, and it's it's not going to on an annual basis. What about in general? So we've got actually the Dodgers as the highest spending cash team of the major four sports this year. What about the leagues as a total? I, I imagine the NFL did most of the damage there, though, right? Oh, absolutely. They they were six and a half billion dollars yeah. uh, in in total. And then followed up by Major League Baseball at 4.4 billion. Uh, the NBA and the NHL had to do some uh, manipulation with the data to sort of get the average between the 2021-22 season and sure. the 2020-2021 seasons. So the NBA came out at about 3.9 billion dollars, and the NHL was approximately three billion dollars. Good work if you can get it. <laughs> I, yeah. mean, I mean, those NFL rosters are always going to dominate because of the size of them. Um, you know, but baseball pushing out 4.4 billion cash, that's no small potato. And factor no. that into the November we just had, which is not included here. Is that correct? Or it is? Yeah, that does not. No, that, that is, uh, that's 2022 money. 2021 dollars. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So factor in the November we just had for the next free agency, um, and, you know, we did a little segment there on the postseason and the, and, and the postseason pay that was given out, the stipends that were given out and how those are way, way up, which generally leads to the fact that there's a lot of health in terms of ratings, in terms of interest in, the, in, in Major League Baseball playoffs. These are all positive numbers to me. So if I'm, you know, in and around this MLB lockout situation, I've got a lot, a lot of reasons to really start to work hard on getting this thing figured out and getting back to some normalcy because the numbers are probably up when they shouldn't be right now. I mean, all, all we hear is negativity about major league baseball, you know, and, and all, mm -hmm. and we're fans, we watch constantly, but even the, even the announcers we watch <laughs> are starting to go to the dark side with, you know, the umpiring and the spending and the competitive, competitive imbalance. We're all sort of on the same page and it's not a good page, except it seems like, Financially speaking, things are really healthy right now. 
So if we yeah, just get a couple of, of, you know, those bottom feeder teams having to spend their dollars that are clearly being made, we should be on the right path, you know, because the money's there yeah. to be had. Yeah. And I quickly ran here while you were speaking just to see this year compared to the last few years. Okay. 2018, Major League Baseball spent $4.6 billion in 2019. $4.7 billion. And then obviously with the pandemic hit, it was a massive drop. So it was only $2, uh, $2 billion. But being back up to the 4.4, at least shows that they're, they're, they're rebounding from mm -hmm. the pre-pandemic shutdown situation. So it'll be interesting to see with the massive spending that happened in November, can Major League Baseball really get back to over $4.7 billion back to that trajectory? Okay, ready? Top earning players in each sport in 2021. We mentioned Dak. Uh, you know, much of that contract was front-loaded with a big signing bonus, which we'll get to. He's your top cash NFL player this year. Steph Curry, easily the NBA. Is Steph Curry going to be on this list for quite a while with that yeah, extension? He will. He will. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be upwards of $58, 59000000 million soon, right? Yeah, yeah, towards the back end of that contract, yeah. That's I mean, incredible. It, it, as of right now, I mean, who knows with some of these extensions, new CBA that could come up in a couple of years, how the max salaries might be, if they are going to be manipulated a little more. Um, but right now, yeah, he's going and, to And be. just so we're all on the same page, Scott, you know, when we say these NBA numbers, there's really no signing bonuses. And if they are, they're very minimal and very, very Correct. rare. You know, when we talk about Dak Prescott, we're talking about uh, it's 66, I think, right? $66 million signing Six. bonus. And mm -hmm. basically, you know, $11 million elsewhere, $9 million elsewhere in terms of base salary and some other stuff. So with the NBA, we're talking $58 million base salary for Steph Curry. Right. Every two weeks, it gets paid a portion of it. I, I mean, it's just nuts. That's, that's nuts money, even for where we are inflation-wise. Major League Baseball, it's Frank Lindor and that... Oh, I don't know how to call it. What, what, what do we call that contract now with Frankie Lindor and the Mets? Rushed? Ooh. Rushed? Uh, that yeah. rushed, rushed contract? <laughs> yeah, that could be a good answer. Hopefully it's not Albatross, but... Uh, yeah, um, I'm not willing to go there yet, but rushed because, uh, you know, it's kind of like signing the guy before six other shortstops become available for contracts, which is exactly what happened. No surprise, Connor McDavid is your highest paid NHL player and should be indefinitely if you haven't seen him play. <laughs> he is... He's the guy. How about the smaller sports, Scott? I know you're tracking a lot of these smaller sports for us as well. Yeah, the MLS, uh, Carlos Vela, LAFC, $6.3 million for him. Um, they they release their salaries in May and September of every year. And so when those come out, I drop them in. He's, he's the highest in the MLS right now. Uh, EPL, um, approximately... $30 million for Ronaldo yeah. uh, with that, that signing with Man U. So he was tops because of that transfer there. Lewis Hamilton came in at approximately 62 million. Um, and that's including the incentive that was to be earned based on what was reported in July. Mm -hmm. So that could fluctuate. That could have been a hell of a lot more with that last race. <laughs> it mean, could have been. He left a um, lot of money on the table there getting passed on bad tires. Oh, yeah. Uh, WNBA, there were multiple highest salaries, $221,000 for WNBA stars. And then John Rahm, on course only, $7.7 .7 million for him in 2021. And that doesn't include, obviously, the big $10, $10 million bonus at the end of the year, right? Right. 
So that's just that's just tournament earnings, essentially. Tournament earnings on course, yep. Is he the best player in the world? Um, I know you watch quite a bit of golf. Probably right now, yes. Yeah. I mean, there's some young and up-and-coming stars that I, are going to nip at his heels. Uh, but I, I think right now you'd have to probably say yes. You know why I like him most is I really think he has a chance in those awkward international majors. You know what I mean? Like he he, he can play dirty golf. Yes. He, he doesn't need a clean, perfect, beautiful course to to win golf tournaments. And uh, I, I, but he has, by the way, he has one of those beautiful courses too. So I just think he's uh he's got a grind it out kind of mode. And Kepka, I think Kepka has that in him too. But I'm not sure Kepka can get out of his own head. I mean, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot there. I like where the PGA is right now and going with some of these personalities that are there. I mean, we're seeing these personalities in these other big sports, NFL, NBA, you know, we talk about it all the time. PGA, there are some really nice personalities that are coming out and, you know, the rivalry with uh, DeChambeau and and Kepka and everything else that's going on. But I guess from what I'm listening to and hearing, it sounds like the PGA Tour schedule may be altered in the future years here. So it'll be interesting to see how that transpires. I guess they might be getting rid of some of the fall tournaments or however it's going to shift. So it'll be interesting to see where PGA goes here. It does in the seem future. like it's too long, doesn't it? It does. I mean, they stop for like a minute and a half, have a cup of coffee and then go back next Thursday. It seems, seems like it's too much. Yep. Um, it does. Let, let's kind of transition into some storylines. I know we have a lot to get to here, but now that we're on this golf thing, let's kind of push through it. Uh, about halfway through the year, we had a couple of shows, Scott, that referenced that alternative golf league tournament. Yeah, right. Um, that was really all about the personalities. It was about basically saying, let's take all these guys who want to be, you know, boisterous and loud and and play big golf and play, you know, marketable golf and, you know, some of the quiet guys, Rory, those guys, they, they wanted the superstars. They basically wanted to create a select league that took, out, took away all the rules, take away all the chains, let these guys go out there and be who they're going to be, let them make as much money as possible. We're going we're gonna to have gigantic purses and just kind of open things up here and see what we can get out of the sport. Have you heard a thing about this? I'm, I feel like it's, it's basically a super league is what it is, right? Yeah, Premier Golf League, I think it was called, if I remember correctly. I haven't heard much of that. I know uh, a couple months ago there was some news about the uh, uh, league where Greg Norman was going to be overseeing everything out in Middle East or some, Dubai, something like that. Sure. So th- there's still some things trying to be figured out and you know persuade some of these potential golfers to go and do these big purses, but it sounds like – Right now, PGA is still going to be king moving forward. Hmm. Okay. There's plenty of money to be made. That's for darn sure. Which sport, I guess both in terms of spot track and just in terms of the spotlight, do you think took the biggest step forward this year? Transactionally, from a rating standpoint, just from a discussion standpoint, maybe a social media standpoint? Uh, that's a good Good question. Um, Is it possible that it's F1? Yeah, you know what? It probably is. And and it's funny because everyone's been talking about Formula One and the, the Netflix series Drive to Survive. But what's funny is 
that Netflix series has been around for a couple of years now. <laughs> and it's like all of a sudden people are realizing that it exists and the conversation of does the NBA need this? Does NASCAR need this? Does right. Major League Baseball need this? Do they need these narratives so that they can see the inner workings of uh, the sport to really get Show to us know how the sausage is made, right? That's kind of what we're right. all craving get, these days. And you get to know who the drivers are, who the crew chiefs are. You get to see the personality. So you get to know the names and I get it there. There's 20 drivers and it's not as many as like an NFL or, you know, those other big sports. But the fact that they've made a narrative of the sport, it, it allows the people that are on Netflix or aren't super into sports to casually get into a sport, sure. uh, especially in a sport where there's not a lot of passing. There's not a lot of, uh, you know, there is controversy, but it once for the most part, once the field is set and, you know, they separate from each other, there's not a lot of drama outside of crashes or, you know, if well, the drivers got the, the money is a big part of the drama. There's there's it so is. much money. There's so much. Well, the sponsors are the biggest companies in the history of, of in the world. I mean, this is n a no joke situation. If you don't understand what's going on, you mentioned Dubai. Of course, Dubai is involved with these super leagues and this F one stuff. It's what, it's the, basically the richest place in the world, and and this sport has been at the heart of that for a long time now. So I just think it was this this ticking time bomb waiting to burst. And whether it was the Netflix documentary, whether it was just traction on Twitter, which can do it. I mean, that's all it takes these days is just some traction and, and the right people saying some things out loud, a Pat McAfee or somebody like that. And this thing can go. I just think it hit the perfect storm this year. And by the way, you know, that, that finale, <laughs> holy oh, cow. Yeah. I mean, whether they rigged it or not, good, good work F1. Cause you've got, you've got us all hooked for next year. No question. Well, and what's interesting in that sport, similar to NASCAR, is there is no quote unquote free agency period. Yeah. So in those sports, they're signing to go to someone else with 10 races left. And yeah. then you've got that controversy, which <laughs> Netflix is recording all of this material. So when they're when it comes out for the next season, you get to see the actual, you know, back and forth, the 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 strife it's a reality between, show yeah yeah so it's a it's a reality show happening in real time so um i yeah you're right that probably is and then i'm gonna have to say you know to a certain extent the the growth of the women's leagues yeah. in general you know the fact that wmba had super high ratings they're on espn nwsl got a deal with cbs and you got to see a lot more of those uh soccer stars especially coming out of the you know, the summer Olympics, mm -hmm. um, and the women's professional hockey league, which many may not even know that exists in the United States here, but they actually got a deal with ESPN plus and they're being streamed on ESPN plus that you can go and watch. So I know up in Buffalo there, Buffalo Buttes are playing. And then, um, uh, so that, that's a huge get for them. And they rebranded as the premier hockey federation this year. And then Athletes Unlimited, I keep hearing more and more about that. I know Emily's been on to talk about uh, that situation and how they're growing. So I think as a whole, it, it's great to see them getting the uh, the spotlight 
and hopefully their salaries will become more of a spotlight in the future here. Um, but the it's, streaming it's stuff is just changing everything. And that's a it huge, is. huge positive. There's, there's more avenues. Twitch has been a big part of this for women's sports. Um, and certainly some of these, you know, smaller networks that can afford these kind of leagues, but you're right to me, the, the big leagues, the, the big, the big networks taking on some of these women's sports games, just regular season games too. You're not even talking about the championship game, Scott. I mean, right. there's a, there's a WNBA day on ESPN, which is pretty damn good. Um, we're getting there. We're definitely getting there. It's been fun to watch that. And we will certainly be sticking with that. And like I said, it is always a goal to get more women's financials on spot track. Uh, it is simply not as easy as it sounds, unfortunately, but we, it is not because we aren't trying. We're going to continue to try. It's a big part of 2022. So um, anybody out there that has connections, find us, please. <laughs> we are, we are interested for all the right reasons. It's I, I, I want to bring these kind of things to light. I think it helps the sport grow. I really do. Player players that had the biggest spotlights. I mean, you have you have a list here. I can't argue with any of these names. You have Aaron Rodgers in bold with an asterisk and a larger font size. Um, so I'm assuming <laughs> I'm assuming that's the one you want to talk about first. Go ahead. Oh my God! Yes, he was the player in the news the most. Uh, you know, he was by far the number one searched player this year. He was just, he's, you know, and that's rare. That's Brady's spot, man. Brady has is. owned that on spot track for a long time, Scott. Yeah, he has. And, and Tom is still in the top five of most viewed, but Rogers was up there. And so I had to, it, with the, the rest of the list that I came up with was, Deshaun Watson, yeah. Trevor Bauer, Tom Brady, um, Sheho, Sheho Atani, yeah. uh, uh, Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, and then Zion Williamson. And I'm sure there's uh, more that I haven't even tapped into. But sure. out of those, you know, some good, some bad. Um, but Rogers, for the fact that, you know, the saga that happened all year, whether it was the drafting, the the COVID protocols, the, you know, you name it. He, he, in my eyes was the player news person of the year. Um, what's interesting, Scott, about all these names you just mentioned, and they're all relevant and they're all obviously, you know, people are viewing their contract situations on spot Trek for various reasons, but none of these stories have gone away. <laughs> they have not. It's not like this was just a bing, bang, boom. Let's get in and out. Aaron Rodgers story is only going to escalate. It's only right. an escalate, regardless of what happens. Even maybe even especially if they win the Super Bowl, if they win the Super Bowl, there's going to be like a minute and a half celebration before somebody gets in his face and says, "What's going on for 2022? Is this going to be a you know a ride off into the sunset moment? Are you going to retire, or are you going to put yourself on the trade block and try to get yourself to Denver? It's just not going away. I expect him to be the most dominating sports figure over the next two and a half months, and it's not even going to be close. Even if Brady repeats. Right, even if Deshaun Watson goes to jail, you know, whatever could happen. Your Trevor Bauer, whatever his situation ends up being over the next few few months, he he may be, you know, removed or placed back on that restricted list. You know, Shohei Otani can sign a five hundred million dollar extension in in Los Angeles. Aaron Rodgers is still going to dominate, and it's not even going to be close. Ben Simmons will be traded in the next couple of weeks. It won't even be close, and not just because it's football. He himself is so damn polarizing, self-created. 
I mean, he he's passive aggressive to, to the point of forcing us to make all these headlines and create these storylines. I'm not going to include myself in this. I don't do that. Okay. <laughs> I don't do that. But he, he, he loves it. He relishes in seeing tweets that, that are creating storylines about him. And then when he does speak, not only does he not squash anything that was created, he adds to and builds and creates new storylines. It's just the kind of person he is. He's getting a kick out of this entire thing. He's 38. He's great. He knows he's great. He, he's still great. He's the leading MVP candidate heading into week 17 right now, Scott. I think he's just screwing with the world around him, truly, because he's bored and this is a way to keep himself happy and motivated. So it's not going away until he is wearing blue and orange in Denver, in my opinion, with a, with a three-year, $150 million contract, whatever it could be. And that could be it, by the way. You know, that's, that's going to be when we can take a deep breath on Aaron Rodgers. It, it didn't happen until August 1st this year. I don't even know how long it's going to take next year. Yeah. But, you know, the Kyrie Irving stuff, I feel like that's coming to head here, don't you think? Once he clears the protocol, it sounds like he'll be back in the fold and then that story will start to die down. Yeah. Um, it, it, and to a certain extent, it has died down. Yeah. And now that they need the bodies, he's uh, he's going to be at least a quote unquote part time player. Sure. And at some point, I expect him to be back full time. And then obviously Ben Simmons is going to once Same he's thing. traded, that's going to be a non-entity because. Well, unless he know, goes to the Lakers and now has the job of trying to make that team a contender for LeBron. You know what I mean? Which right. is going to be a whole different storyline. But but yeah, most likely he's traded to a, a non-factor team and just kind of settles back into whatever role he is as an NBA player. Um, okay, enough about that. That's, uh, you know, that hot stove stuff will certainly still be brewing long after we have this show done. <laughs> um, let's get to some money, Scott. You mentioned a lot of these big boy contracts. How about the ones that were signed in terms of free agency? I know you've got some names here. I just want you to pick out your favorite one. Let's just focus on one free agent contract from each from from the big four sports that you think is the most interesting from from a money standpoint, from a production standpoint, from a flop standpoint, whatever you might have here for that. All right, I'll I'll, I'll go in my neck of the woods here. I thought the Chris Paul free agent contract with Phoenix this offseason was a win-win contract. He got paid. Uh, he opted out. If you remember, he opted out of that player option to sign and then he got extra additional years. But then on the back end, it was team friendly where he had an option, a mm -hmm. club option and some non guarantees thrown in there. So it, it's a win win. And look, they're still winning. They're number two in the West and it, they are still chugging along. But they were also able to bring back some players to, to make that roster deep to go into the uh, uh, playoffs. Mm -hmm. They're just now getting hit with those protocols, but I really like this for the the fact of his age and it's a win-win for him and the Phoenix. Suns. You kind of glossed over my favorite part of that contract, which is very NFL-like, right? <laughs> These numbers hit. Chris Paul's extended four years, $120 million going back to Phoenix. They're going to try to run it back one more time. Everybody's freaking out about the $120 million. Everybody, the world is exploding that, a, you know, a near 40 year old got that kind of guarantee in, in the NBA. 
And then, you know, Keith Smith and you started to bring in some more details and Bobby Marks and Woj start to talk a little bit about more details. And we find out this is not exactly $120 million. In fact, it's really not even close, right? It's not even close. It's a two and a half year deal, probably gets three years, could be traded by then for all we know, Uh, you know, so many uncertainties, but it was so, it was almost like a pride thing for me because this is how every NFL contract happens for me. I see these gigantic numbers hit from all these big named ESPN reporters or NFL reporters. And then I have to basically just sit here and say, okay, I can't react yet because there's no way that that number matters. There's no way we have to slow our roll and figure out what the hell actually me- you know, is being said here. So to me, that was, that was the best part of that contract. And by the way, and we've had Keith on to talk about this. It sounds like a lot of these contracts are going that route, that there's going to be some fluff. There's going to be some incentives. Yep. There's going to be some what ifs. And uh, you know, Guarantees aren't going to be guarantees exactly anymore in the NBA, at least the, in terms of total contract value. So it sounds yeah, like it could, be a, it could be the way we go. And, and and just to finish on this, Scott, I have I think it's because so many of these guys are playing into their late 30s, you know, either coming in with injury issues like Embiid and Zion, or they're they're lasting to the point of where you have to build in the tier deterioration and injury history and things like that because it's just not it's not smart business not to. Yeah. And what I was going to say is these contracts, everyone says, oh, the NBA, they're guaranteed salaries. Well, technically they are, but technically they're, they don't have to be. It's not built into the CBA that they're automatically guaranteed contracts. So they, they, it's a good point. Scott. They can be negotiated with a team to be or have those non-guaranteeds in them or with trigger dates like the NFL has. So, you know, it, it, just because, we see those large values come out, you know, and you may mention there in the future, we may see more of these, these triggers or the uh, non-guaranteed at the back, especially for aging superstars. Um, So I think we may see more of that win-win possibility. You get your money, Mm -hmm. but if you have any injury issues, we can cut ties with you when we need to. Okay. That's a good choice by you. Um, I have a terrible answer for this. <laughs> My free agent contract of the year. It's an entire team. Any guesses? Oh, what league? No, it's too, that, that gives it away too much. Tampa Bay Bucks? No. No. Mm. I don't know. Neither of our New England Patriots. Um, it was probably the biggest storyline of the entire offseason is how much they yeah. spent, what, who they right. spent it on, the type of contracts they gave out, the double tight end contract, uh, certainly how the Mac Jones situation fell to them. But from a free agent standpoint alone, $291 million, uh, you know, a good chunk of that fully guaranteed at signing, you know, 155 of the 291 fully guaranteed. And it's, it's hit almost gangbusters for them. <laughs> I mean, it's been, you know, it, it is basically a team. And we mentioned this with the lightning and, and some of these other organizations, they know exactly what they need from a roster standpoint, which means they knew exactly what they didn't have last year. And when you award that kind of team with draft assets and free agent cap space, they can be extremely dangerous. Now that doesn't mean that every player 
that they, you know, every role that they need is going to have a player available via free agency. But it did just so happen that, you know, there were at least six off the top of my head that were immediate impact signings from the second they walked into camp with that team. And you toss in Mac Jones, which is obviously the, you know, the icing on this entire process. And that's what we have here. The New England Patriots are not a, a legitimate playoff team for me. They may sneak in, but they are highly inflated because of this roster construction process. They are who they are this year because there's a GM, a couple of coordinators, and certainly a head coach that know exactly what they are expecting out of every role in that roster. And when you get a majority of your players that can execute in any given week, you're going to have success. You're going to be plus 500. So, you know, my point in saying all this, Scott, is that they didn't have to do this. The New England Patriots did not have to spend $155 million guaranteed this offseason in free agency. They, they don't do it. They never do it. They have never done it before. They may never do it again. Okay. Because Belichick's, you know, tenure isn't going to be here forever. But in this specific era, everything just aligned perfectly. Like I just said, you had a guy who knew exactly what he wanted and basically an unlimited amount of assets to get it. So we got, we got to make note of those kind of things, whether you like that team or not, whether you like Belichick or not, you have to, you have to make note when things like that happen because it is a perfect storm from a roster construction standpoint, and they certainly made the most of it. So I give them a lot of credit uh, for a lot of those contracts. The Judon deal looks great, should have huge value. A couple of those wide receivers have hit. Certainly Hunter Henry has hit. Uh, the, the acquisitions they made via trades for, for the offensive line have hit, and uh, they got a couple of safeties and cornerbacks that they're going to have to pay this offseason, in my opinion, to keep that train rolling. But it's uh it's unkind it's it's not it's not common to see what we just saw happen with that organization nor any organization having everything line up like it did in March and April like it did for the Patriots this year so I hate to give them that much credit but I guess I have to hmm. extensions no, it, I I think it's I think it's it's worth noting because I, I didn't even think of that and you're right. They, they did go out. They did spend, they set themselves up for the future, knowing that they have that quarterback. And if that quarterback is, well, but remember, Scott, but remember they didn't know that they didn't have him at the time. They were putting the cart before the horse. Yes. They were filling in holes without for Jared Stidham (laughs) is what they were doing, knowing they were going to get some kind of quarterback, but there's no way in hell they knew Mac Jones was going to fall to 15 for them. No chance in hell. Um, Everything just sort of worked out, and, and it's yeah. it's one of those things you have to just you have to talk about it when it's there because it's it's a phenomenon. Whether they make the playoffs, whether they advance in the playoffs or not, they are a much better team than they were twelve months ago, and it's because of roster construction. All right, same question for extensions, contract extensions across the big four sports. Which one just stands out like a sore thumb for you? Sore thumb in a bad way. Doesn't it, you, that's your choice, sir? You can go positive <laughs> or negative on us here. <laughs> um, you know, there the amount of extensions that happened this year was just unbelievable. I mean, that's the, a huge note. Yeah, in in bold letters, it's a different everything. show for us, right? I mean, just just it, it, where where that part yeah. of contract management is going, right? It is. Um, I, I guess if I had to pick. I'm I'm gonna go Stephen Curry. Okay. He was the first one that I thought of when I started making this list. 
uh, five years, $201 million. You know, he's locked up for the long term. He's a Golden State Warrior. Yes, he could potentially be moved, you know, but I doubt it. But with what is going on right now with that team and the pieces that are about to come back with, with uh, Thompson and Wiseman, sure. and they, they've, they sort of hit lightning in a bottle with having been in a, a lottery situation to, to get these players to sort of recharge who is on their roster for, from a depth standpoint. Now that you lock Curry in for the long term, you've got clay. Uh, I just think that, you know, we had all these conversations before of, is he going to, is he going to become a free agent? Is he going to go to Charlotte? Is he going to go somewhere else? What are they going to do? Are they going to offer him that amount of money? And then now he's, you know, still draining the three after three. Um, I, I, Let me ask you I, this question, I, Scott, because uh, we love talking Golden State, man. We, we could do it every single show if we, if we had the chance. You know, we, we've been talking dynasty at the top of the show there, right? Tampa Bay, the Lightning, they're kind of on that track. It's, it's too much to ask, in my opinion, right now, for any team in any sport in this modern sports world to just go on a string of five straight championships. There's just too much parity. Free agency exists yep. everywhere. You know, trades are prevalent. There's too much money. You know, player empowerment is, is, is changing that even before our eyes. Do you think if you asked 50 people if the Golden State Warriors were a dynasty, they would say yes or no? Yes, they would say Majority yes. Majority would say yes? I guess where I'm going, I, Scott, I is because what do they have? Two? Three? Three. Okay. And not it's been a, it's been a minute is my point. But I think we yeah. all, because of Curry and, and how polarizing he can be individually, Scott, we all kind of just assume that they're still in that phase in that window. Mm -hmm. We do. Should we be modifying how we classify a dynasty in sports now? Because of what I just said, nobody's going to rip off five straight wins. It's not going to happen in any sport. But if you're 100% a contender every year for five years plus, maybe for six to seven years, it, it takes is that a dynasty now? Because you're right, Scott. There are teams, there are plenty of teams in many of these sports that are going to go three years, full pedal down, and then two years completely off the pedal. Shut it down, cleanse our finances, take some dead mm -hmm. cap on if necessary, let's get a draft pick or two that we can rebuild with, and that's just the way to go. But that's not what most of these big teams have, have been doing. The Dodgers aren't doing that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Nope. They're spending. The Yankees are the other way. The Yankees are cleansing. They have been cleansing for the past couple of years. I just wonder if, if, if it smells like a dynasty. Should we just call it a dynasty at this point? Because Golden State is a dynasty to me. And Steph Curry is the king of that dynasty. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason I say him also is the fact that uh, $201 million is going to be nothing yeah to that franchise with the new stadium, everyone coming in, you know, the, the amount of dollars that are going to come into that franchise, knowing that he is there for the rest of his career, you know, he's the face of the franchise. The, Golden State as a franchise is going to make hand over fist from that $201 million. He's probably worth even more than that, but he can't get more than that because of 
the CBA restrictions with the maximum salary situation. So, yeah. you know, between him and Clay, you know, potentially the best backcourt in history, you know, you almost, they're invaluable to that franchise. No question. Okay. For me, it's Josh Allen. Um, for everything that comes with it, it's a massive contract. It's a, it's a mini Mahomes contract. It's eight years total, six for 258 on the new money. It represents, uh, you know, the next big thing in terms of how we structure contracts in the NFL. It represents where the quarterback money is actually going. The Mahomes one was like a, <laughs> I don't know, it was almost like a shot that went so far, you know, that we, we kind of just gloss over it at this point. And, you know, we had our moments where we've been identifying just how much money is left on the Mahomes deal. And that's, people don't even want to think about it. That, that's how much, that's how big that contract is. But, but Allen's contract is, is somewhat attainable for all these other quarterbacks. You know, when, you know, the Herbert's coming up, the Burrow's coming up, the Kyler Murray's coming up. It's this attainable thing and it's a huge number. And, you know, the bill structured it about as cleanly as they could have to allow for some restructures and things like that. But when you think about just the, the history of Buffalo Bills quarterbacks, the history of the AFC East with Brady in that in that division and 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 how he never did this contract, <laughs> you know, never and still hasn't and never will. And how, yes, the Patriots spend, but they didn't give one individual person this kind of contract. I mean, it's just to me that it's still fascinating. You know, it's a, it is a 55 man roster every single week. It is a 90 man roster for half the year carrying through training camp and to give one person this much standalone, you know, I mean, you're mentioning Curry Scott and you're right. The league doesn't allow it to be $400 million. The CBA says it's got to be structured at, at certain percentages of where the league is financially speaking. That's not what the NFL has done by any regards. And, and you know, the last CBA last last March just sort of glossed over this whole thing, even though a lot of us out there were saying, Hey, should we talk about this gap, <laughs> right? The cap that is currently 660,000 for the minimum wage versus 45 million plus for the, the top quarterback in football. You know, that's not, that's not normal life. That's, that's not how a structured union league should work in my opinion. And it's only getting worse. And I'm not saying quarterbacks don't deserve it because they are singularly as important as anything we have positionally. But at some point, Scott, you know, when Herbert signs, when Burrow signs, when Murray signs, when Lamar signs, we're going to have all sorts of $40 million contracts and probably a couple of 50s. Rodgers and Russell are going to be in that conversation too. At some point, enough people are going to get into the crowd and say, what are we doing here? Because, you know, a viable 28-year-old defensive tackle can't make $2 million anymore. And that's coming. It's already started. It's coming. And that's going to be a real problem for the league, in my opinion. So I, I'm, I'm pointing out this extension as sort of my warning call that this is, the, this is the beginning of a cycle of a ton of young quarterbacks that we've been focusing on for the past five years or so, where the chicken's coming home to roost. And it's not going to be high value rookie contracts we're talking about. It's going to be this. You're going to go from you know, $8 million a year for many of these rookie quarterbacks to 50 with a snap of a finger. And, you know, you can discuss how the cap is a myth and they can just massage the cap hits as much as they want every year. You're right. I'm not going to argue that. I see it every day. 
I'm talking about the the actual guts, the actual finances of this league and the and the wages that are being earned across 2,500 players. And at some point in time, you're going to have 15 guys here, 800 here on the rookie contracts, and then a bunch of guys here that no team knows what to do with. And agents are fighting like hell just to scrounge. And that's a bad look. That's not where we want to be with this league. So I, I just I just think there's something coming soon. Yeah, and that, that's a fantastic point about the positional part because it, the NFL stands out more so than the other sports from a positional standpoint for, for payment-wise. Like in Major League Baseball, there, there's a handful of extensions here. But when we're talking about Major League Baseball, you, you're mostly either paying pitchers or you're paying batters. Batters. That's right. It doesn't matter if you're an outfielder or sh- right. shortstop to a certain extent. You know, when we talk about those finances, you rarely hear anyone talk about their defensiveness. And that's going. What are they doing? And that's going to even get worse with um, universal DHs. Right. Even worse. Yeah, and then in basketball, I mean, yeah, you have big men versus shooters versus you know ball handlers, but for the most part. You're paying a basketball player, a basketball player. And so the fact that in the NFL, you're paying these wide receivers and the franchise tag (laughs) is based on position. So the fact that quarterbacks are going to get paid that much is going to shift those franchise and transition tags that much more in the future, whereas those other positions get left behind and you make it, you make your, your parity even uh, more because you have such high versus peanuts at, yeah. at the low. Uh, so you're right. It's going to come to a head because it teams are going to have to have that negotiation tactic to figure out what is our internal maximum percentage that we want to spend on a quarterback without the league dictating 25% of the cap, like in the NFL or NBA, they're almost going to have to have that internal. We're only going to spend 20% Do you think we on get there, Scott. Do you think we get to a real conversation with the NFL about maximum contracts? No, I don't think so. I think they like how the system is because it, they're always in the limelight, whether it's for the extension restructure <laughs> um, for the fact that, they are going to teams are willing to figure out their dead cap and just take on sure. a Carson Wentz, uh, 33 million dead cap that they don't care as long as they are leading the conversation. And I, we made a joke in, in August this year of, you know, the NBA and the NHL and major league baseball, they were having all these signings and extensions. And we were like, all right, what is going to happen in the NFL 24 hours later because they need to be back on top that that's what they want. So no, I don't think they would restrict themselves. I think it's going to be on the teams themselves to internally say, we only want to spend X amount on a cap for, or in this year or that year and just figure it out. And if the cap continues to rise for them, you know, it, it may be a moot point because 20% of, 182 versus 20 percent of 230 you're gonna be able to spend more with that percentage down the line anyways it's fascinating 
where it's going. It yeah, is. I mean, it's it's very baseball like, um, but the difference with this is you can just adjust. You know, cash is an, cash is an ancillary thought. Most people don't even think about cash in the NFL. It's not even a part of their thing. They want to know what the cap hit is, and that's all that matters. And uh, that's one way to look at it. But it's probably not the way that the actual league looks at anything. <laughs> because right, imagine <laughs> imagine if Major League Baseball allowed restructures. I, you know, I was about to bring that up yeah. or Lindor or any of these 10 to 11, yeah. 14 year contracts. I mean, let me ask you this. Do you think in this new CBA, are they going to eradicate these long term years? Are they going to allow them? But, you know, no. if they were able to restructure where their quote unquote payroll salary was able to be adjusted on a yearly basis and be fluid like the NFL, I think you'd have. Uh, some interesting conversations, transactions from a major league baseball standpoint, for sure. I do think it needs to be more transactional. So in some, in some way, Scott, yes, but I don't know that they want to make the accounting any more complicated than it is. It's probably the easiest one we have right now <laughs> outside of, you know, the NHL has its ups and downs, but you know, I guess though, to some degree, the complications, the difficulties of the NBA cap and the and tax and the, and the NFL cap is, I guess that's probably where the interest comes from, right? Is what we don't know. Right. Things we don't know yeah, we're trade interested machine. in. Yeah. Yeah. Trade machines, you know, that because it's so complicated, you have to go do something to see if it can work. So it's almost like the more complicated the financial system, the more transactional, more in the limelight mm -hmm. your league may be. Okay. Let's finish on a couple of things quickly, right? You mentioned dead cap Carson Wentz. It was a big storyline. Uh, NFL dead cap was a huge storyline because of the sizes and the numbers that teams were just basically willing to take on without thinking otherwise. You know, there were draft picks, in, picks included in many of these trades, but it's not just an NFL thing. You know, this stuff exists everywhere, whether it's retained salary, whether it's straight buyouts, or whether it's dead cap from uh, releases and and whatnot in the NBA. Give me the top five total dead cap hits that were left behind on the, on the losing team in 2021, Scott. Yeah. Carson Wentz came in at number one, Philadelphia Eagles, $33.8 million left to them. Blake Griffin had a buyout with Detroit, $29.7 million. Albert Pujols with the uh, Los Angeles angels, $29.5 million. Kemba Walker had his buyout with the Oklahoma City Thunder, $26.2 million. Followed up number five, Jared Goff uh, with the Rams, $24.7 million. There's five quarterbacks in the top 10, right? <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. Five yep. quarterbacks in the top 10. So take what you will with that. Uh, who cashed in the biggest signing bonuses this year, Scott? Well, we talked about him already. Dak, $66 million and not even close. Yeah. I mean, he far and above everybody else. TJ Watt came in at number two at $35.5 million signing bonus, followed by Trent Williams, Jonathan Allen, and then Tom Brady. Tom Brady, huh? When's the last time Tom Brady was in the top five of any kind of financial financial list, right? <laughs> right. Uh, no, that's just good structure for them. They uh, used some void years and made that cap hit nice and low this year to uh, bring back all those bodies. Some storylines, and then we'll get out of here. 
obviously the gambling stuff has been big. We've been, you know, including a lot of conversation with it, you know, MVPs, will they, won't they? Certainly some futures in terms of over-unders and win projections and stuff like that. We'll continue to do that in 2022, of course. There's going to be more though, right? I mean, there's going to be, I think, some very specific gambling allocated to what we're doing, right? Will Baker Mayfield sign a contract of $30 million plus? Where will Aaron Rodgers be playing week one of 2022? Will Russell Wilson be traded? Will Pete Carroll be fired? There's a lot of very specific things across all these sports that, you know, now that gambling and online gambling is becoming prevalent in many of these states, more so every week, these kind of things are going to come into focus. And, you know, the discussions you and I have on a, on a regular basis are now, be, now going to have odds attached to them. So uh, if you're sick of hearing gambling conversations, uh, we're only going forwards, not backwards with those. And that's just part of the life. You're going to be seeing it more on your television screens and your streaming devices. It's going to be everywhere. It's going to be built into the broadcast, you know, as these, as some of these older announcers kind of weed themselves out, Many of these young guys are going to be talking about it pretty out loud. And some of these networks are going to start allowing it quite a bit. I'm excited to see what the Amazon broadcast brings. I think that may be a part of this conversation. If Tariko takes over at NBC, I have a feeling he's going to start talking about this stuff pretty, pretty out loud. So there's going to be more, not less. And by the way, there may be separate broadcasts for this. ESPN has done, has dabbled with this before. I think they'll go back to it now that they've got some success with the Manning cast. I, I think you're going to have straight, you know, live betting broadcasts, current over-unders, current, all that stuff. And uh, it'll be a part of our, our world too, Scott. Like I said, I think these specific odds and these specific bets are going to become the forefront of what we're doing and what we're talking about out loud and the, the contract projections we're putting out there and all that fun stuff. So certainly not going away. Everybody's partnered up at this point, the leagues, the teams, <laughs> Some of these players, college athletes, right, have yeah, right. Now, uh, you know, some nil stuff with this kind of these kind of companies. So there's there's plenty to get to with that. That's a step yeah. I think forward. I think it's only been the tip of the iceberg with yeah, it. I mean, exactly. If you if you've ever said, oh, I I bet this or you know some cliche thing of that nature, yeah. it's going to be there. It's coming one way or another, and. Um, you know, everyone's jumping on board as fast as they can because they see dollar signs. Let me, let me ask you this, because it's been pretty big in the NBA. Are we going to continue to see players choosing cryptocurrency as their payment? Have, has that dwindled a little bit in your opinion? I I don't know if they're going to choose that route. I... No, there have been a few and we've had those conversations. I have not heard of anyone of recent say that they've wanted payment or as such in crypto. So I, I don't know if players are, are, are choosing that way or not, or because of the volatility of the crypto, sure. if, if they would rather have something more stable. Um, so might have to have somebody on to uh, yeah. have a conversation about that yeah. a little bit more in depth in 2022. I have a feeling it's it's not going away. You know, that's the dumbest thing I've said in this show by far. Um, NFTs, sports cards, big, huge, huge year for that. Sports cards are back. I just went to a, a soccer practice not too long ago, Scott. There's a sports card. There's a Panini uh, vending machine in the, sport, <laughs> in the soccer wow. arena now. 
Panini vending machine. They're back, wow. baby. Sports cards are back. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's interesting, you know, the resurgence and, and everything that has gone on because, you know, I, I wonder if social media and the influencers that are out there mm-hmm. have had a huge impact on this, you know, but, you know, there's so many podcasts about sports cards, what is worth something, what is not, you know, I don't know if you, how much you follow Gary V on Twitter, but mm-hmm. he's always posting, I've got these 10 new cards and these, these grades. I mean, he is pushing sports cards as, as hard as anybody that I've seen right now. So I think the it's sort of a, a perfect storm of coming out of the pandemic where a lot of people were trying to find these cards because of you know the documentaries you that know, have been coming out. It's a really and, interesting thought, Scott. And let's have a quick combo on it and then we'll get out of here. But I've thought about this too. Like what what is it? What is driving this resurgence? And I wonder if you have a response to this. Couldn't it be that crypto, that the NFTs, that gambling itself, that you know. Politically speaking, there's been a lot of talk about IRAs and retirements and things like that, you know, whether they're <laughs> going to be here for us or not. It's much of the conversation has, has involved investing. It's not so much about cash transactions anymore. It's about long-term investments, short-term investments, what's, what's got value, what's got worth. You know, I feel like there was a 20-year gap where it, that wasn't what it was about, the, the general populist conversation, you know, save your cash, do your thing. You know the big wigs, this and the athletes. By the way, and you've got this as a bullet point here. The athletes are the ones driving these conversations. They're the ones investing in other companies and investing in products and investing in crypto and and and, and whatnot. They're doing it. They're they're the role models for this. And now the rest of us are hearing these these buzzwords left and right, and we're, we're connecting this current buzzword with something we all did as kids. <laughs> we were already collecting cards. That was already right. a big part of our life. And now there's value in it and there's investment in it and there's property involved with it. So we're connecting these two generations and seeing the dollar signs from, from it. And I think that that's probably where things are coming. And then this too, which cards make the most money? Rookie cards. Rookies. Is there, has there been a point in sports where rookies are more damn important than right now in every sport? Yes. Baseball is all about getting on the cheap contracts. Football, we just talked about. It's been a huge cycle of quarterbacks on rookie contracts taking the league over. The NBA has had this conversation. We've talked about the, the success rate of rookie extensions because these first rounders, they're all getting paid. They're all in the limelight. They're all sticking in the league for at least that second contract. It's just where we are. You know, It's a young man's world right now in terms of sports. And they're making money in different ways because the rookie contracts aren't providing it for them. And they're making money in investments and images and likeness and things like that. Stuff that is literally being pushed into us, our consumer's face. So I have a feeling that there's like this big connection between what we're watching on the sports field, these young players, their rookie cards have value. Their rookie cards are investments. We want to be investing our money versus, you know, just straight up purchasing products anymore. I just have a feeling it's all coming in one big perfect storm for this for this industry. And then, of course, the digital side of it with the NFTs is, is exploding as well. And when more and more people grasp that, I think there'll be billions and billions tossed into that even going forward again. 
Well, and, and I was just going to say, I wonder how much of it plays into that sports cards are material items that you can physically touch sure. and the age demographic that understands what sports cards are because they grew up collecting them and now they want to jump back into them. They may not understand fully what <laughs> NFTs are, where they could go. So that they, it's sort of like, you know, the nostalgia of I, I got to have that card because I can physically have it in my hand versus yeah, there's it's two different generations space. here, right, man? I mean, there's that, right. and then there's the ones that don't want to own any products. They want everything to be in a cloud or or, or in some sort of uh, you know capacity digitally. So, yeah, big gap with that. We'll see where that goes. That's a, that's an interesting watch for 2022. Is will the NFT stuff fizzle? You know, will it be will it, will that bubble burst to some degree, or will you know the NFL and Major League Baseball and these other leagues get really involved, and will we will be will Will instant replays become NFTs immediately? You know, if a dunk happens in front of our face, will that NFT be live and available in 30 seconds and on the market? Is it going to get to that capacity? It very well could and maybe should from a, from a business standpoint. Right. All right, Scott, it's, it was a good year. We brought Keith Smith on board. He's, uh, he's been an integral part of this NBA. Look, the... You know, there's no reason to hold them back. The NBA had a big jump for us this year. I mean, you know, you did a hell of a lot of work on it for a decade and, and bringing Keith on board just kind of sort of solidified your ability to take it to the next level, whether that's adding the GM tool so, so users can go out there and kind of manage these things every single day. There's a trade machine built into that for all of you out there looking to trade Ben Simmons every single day. Um, just Keith's access and ability to go and get the, the numbers that we need and some of the more specific incentives and things like that, that we've been lacking on the site. It was a big year for the NBA and that's not a, that's not a, a bad sport to be you know attached at the hip to right now, because like we said, that's a sport where $300 million contracts and $50 million salaries and $500 million career earnings are right around the corner, literally years away from us, two to three years away from us. So yes, they are. It's a, uh, it's easily one of the most popular ver- uh, places on our site, and it's only getting better because of you and Keith. So our thanks to, to you guys for that. Certainly, we had a, good, a bunch of good guests on this podcast this year, many of them, maybe even all of whom we're going to bring back next year. Did, did we have any bad guests this year? You know? Oh, not at all. I, I think, everything, I, I think everything went pretty darn well. Um, you know, it's, it is draft time in terms of what we're doing. I've been buried in a, in a vacuum working on NFL offseason stuff, which is weird because I'm also rooting for some playoff teams. But it's probably time to have a couple of our draft guys back and gals, by the way, and assess where we're going with the NFL in 2022. And, you know, we got to bring in some different people for baseball because usually we have stats and contracts people on. And you right. know, there's not many stats or contracts to talk about right now, quite frankly. So I've got a couple of people lined up for early in January to talk about this CBA stuff, to talk about the, the legalities, maybe even some of the Trevor Bauer stuff out there. Uh, you know, what happens, the current contracts that are signed, if they have to get amended with the new CBA, will there be riders built into place? We've got a couple of contacts out for uh, some pretty good shows in January, major league baseball oriented. And then uh, we're bringing Keith and some of his friends back for some NBA discussions as well, because, you know, as that ramps up, LeBron's career's in the twilight zone here. You know, uh, Dame's going to be on the move. I think some of these good teams like Portland and Boston are about to blow up. Who knows? Who knows what happens yeah, with, with right. some of these major players in the NBA? So plenty to discuss there as well. And of course, Scott, thanks to our partners, right? The Athletic, um, 
Always and forever, the athletic.com slash spot track gets you 40% off. We had good ties with Morgan Stanley this year, the, our financial advisor, and Balance Bridge funding for the past six months. Uh, good sponsors, good partnerships, and uh, hopefully more of that to see in 2022. Any parting thoughts from you? No. Well, yeah, looking forward to 2022 to see where a lot of these conversations that we have had over the past year, Robot you know, where, <laughs> where, where is Aaron Rodgers going to be? Where is Russell Wilson going to be? You know, is, uh, Tom Brady still going to get to be able to be 45 and play football? You know, is the conversation going into the next year going to continue to be, extensions and trades because we've seen the free agents uh, signing period, you know, have lackluster players in those uh, in those areas for the NFL or NBA. And it's been extension heavy and then potentially trade them. So I'm interested to see if that trend continues into 2022. I just want the NFL to adopt the NBA rule, which is everybody's tradable. Everybody. No contract is too big, too bad, too ugly, too awkward to be traded. And we're going to find that out again with John Wall soon. Mark my word, Scott. Yes. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. Good stuff this year, man. Have a good, have a good new year. Thanks. You too. 